This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Here we go. Hello, Intertrekkies. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. How's it going? We just watched a whole season of Star Trek, so <laughs> I'm feeling good. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think after after needing a break after Picard, I am way back into the Star Trek world. Right now, I'm watching Discovery and Voyager and Lower Decks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I dipped into a little Voyager the other night because I think I'm just going to embrace it that Voyager is my favorite series. I think I've sort of danced around that in the past. At one point, the animated series was my favorite series, which (laughs) I still defend. Um, But I I think it's officially Voyager. Perennially, TNG is and will be my favorite, but I love Voyager and it got me at like a point in my life when I was needed a lady captain doing captain things. Uh, So today we're talking about lower decks and there's also a lady captain. There is also a lady captain, Captain Freeman. Yes. This might be, this might be, I could see this becoming my new favorite series. I love it. I don't know. It's like if someone took Star Trek and like only took the parts that I like mm-hmm. and got rid of all the parts that I sort of space out during. They're like, what if there was just like less science talk? <laughs> <laughs> what if there was more B plot and less A plot? And I'd be like, that's the only part I was paying attention to to begin with. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it is. It really is because it's like what you would consider the primary action is happening kind of to the left of what you're paying attention to because yes. you're in you're like in it with these characters whose responsibilities are like clean the conference rooms. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I have to say one thing about it that blows my mind is that my mom also loves it. Yeah, explain your thinking on this. Well, okay. So why is that surprising? Historically, she has been dubious about Star Trek in general. I think she finds it somewhat boring and also pointless. <laughs> <laughs> but when I was home and like living there for uh, almost a month recently, we got really into Discovery and she loves Discovery. But I did not think that she would like Lower Decks because she is very much like not into kind of gory body horror or kind of satire or mm. really anything that feels like it's not very earnest. Hmm. Okay. And and like my first impression of Lower Decks was that it's very Rick and Morty because it looks like Rick and Morty. Yeah. And it's also like, I think the showrunner is a former writer on Rick and Morty. Yes. So, yeah, I assume that my mom would hate it, but she doesn't. <laughs> Yay. 
So I've been I've been watching because you watched it before me and I've been watching it being like, will it remind me of Rick and Morty? And at first I was very much like, no, not at all. I was like, how does she think this? Because I was like, the people are too nice. <laughs> no one is being abusive. <laughs> there are no one is and like mm-hmm. assholishness is not a major theme. Um, it's mm-hmm. not as gross I guess it is still gross. It's a, but I'm like it's not super gross, uh, and uh, there's not as much substance abuse. All of those things are true. Yes, and I think that like I got it. I got that impression because I'd watched like the first two episodes, and in one of those, like somebody's body gets ripped apart or something. <laughs> And oh, in the in the credit sequence, there's a monster that's kind of like sucking on one of the nacelles of the Cerritos. Oh, yeah, that's and right. That to me is like just a very Rick and Morty kind of monster. But as I went along and watched it, I'm like, yeah, it feels less. It feels more like its own thing to me now. Mm-hmm. And I do love like everything about it. Yeah. That said, I have come around to the Rick and Mortiness of it a little bit. Mm. Like once I could remove those sort of four pillars of what I thought Rick and Morty was, I was like, well, it is very witty. Mm-hmm. There are like a lot of people talking at each other really fast. Um, characters will sort of go on like, I don't know, like hyper monologues at each other, which feels very Rick and Morty, which I didn't notice at first because Rick has a very specific delivery. But um, I think, uh, what's her name? Mariner, like the main character. She will sometimes like monologue at Boimler and like steamroll him in actually a way that's very Rick. And like once I realized that there there was a writer in common, I started looking for it more. And I think there is more of it there than I saw before. But just like in this more wholesome, positive Star Trek way. Yes. But I don't think I want to tell newbies that it's like Rick and Morty just in case they're expecting it to be full of abuse and substance abuse and assholishness. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely does not it does not have celebrate and center like a a person who basically sucks. Yes. Um and this is not meant to be a Rick and Morty analysis show, and I actually do love Rick and Morty, but um, I appreciate that the like I think that the the things that draw me into Rick and Morty are present in this lower decks show, and the things that turn me off from Rick and Morty are really not. So it's kind of like the best yeah. it could be if it was distilling Rick and Morty and then like putting it in Star Trek uniforms. I I also I imagine that your mom doesn't have the same like almost encyclopedic frame of knowledge about Star Trek that you and I have. True. Where she's not catching all of the references cuz a huge part of this show is just like oh by the way this sh- we're just going to totally spoil the whole season. Sorry guys. Mm-hmm. We're spoiling like if you have not watched <laughs> Lower Decks like you can maybe listen for a few more minutes but you should go watch it. Because we're going to launch into spoilers in a second. Mm -hmm. The whole show is just like chalk filled with like these minutia references to things that like the fandom cares about in Star Trek. Just like references to random characters and random episodes. And like I'm catching them left and right. I'm like this must be what 
smart people feel like when they watch regular TV. And I'm like, what's that about? I have to Google it. But I'm like, oh, I can watch this show and feel very smart because I get all their references. Um, and I was like, what would it be like to watch this show and not feel that way? But I'm imagining um, that your mom has a more like casual fan relationship with mm-hmm. Star Trek. So did she... Can you speak to that? <laughs> yeah, I might I, like absolutely yes that, and I I do love all the references, and I'm like kind of amazed how much this show is doing fan service, but in a way that does not feel gross. Yes, it feels like really like oh yeah, here's the thing that we all love, and here's why we love it together. Um, but. I think if I can like put myself into where my mom is like coming at it from, it's like she has a, you know, she has a casual understanding about the universe of Star Trek. So I think the like starship culture is a thing that she basically understands, but like the random like drive by gamester of Triskelion or whatever, which is literally something that I had to ask you about before we started <laughs> recording this. She's just not going to get it. But she is going to get that there's these characters who, like, care about each other. It's back into this kind of, like, workplace drama on a starship that is the root, I think, of Star Trek. And one of the reasons why Disco and Picard often feel like they're out of universe because they're just, like, in a totally different storytelling situation, whatever. Yes. But she still likes it on a plot level, even without all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, mom, when you listen to this, I would I would actually love to know what it is that you love about this show other than that it's cute and that the people care about each other. But I mean, it's good to know that a more casual fan or that somebody who's like even not a fan would still love this show mm-hmm. on a plot level and on a character level, even if they don't get all the little references that they're making. Yes, yes. So you can watch it with your non-Star Trek friends if those exist. (laughs) Who like cartoons? I wonder how Joaquin would react. Maybe I could get my husband to watch this. Ooh, I think he would love it. He likes Archer a lot. Mm -hmm. And so it feels, it's a little bit like Archer in that, you know, it's a cartoon that's really fast paced and witty. Yeah, I think think somebody who likes, somebody who likes like, animated stuff that has uh intelligence underneath it but doesn't take itself too seriously that's mm-hmm. like what this show is mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's coming at the fandom from a totally different perspective than discovery mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like a lot of the things i feel like that discovery and picard were missing i mean this is kind of what you were saying a second ago but it's more episodic Mm-hmm. And it's centered back in the universe or the time period that a lot of the hardcore fans miss, mm-hmm. which is so lovely. And and it looks so accurate. Like, it l- looks a lot like the Enterprise. At the same time, it's, like, blue instead of beige. Mm-hmm. But, like, you still feel like it could have been a ship that, like, they visited on an episode of The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. And then they have the computer graphics everywhere, which I really love. The the L cars, L cars, L cars is the computer system in the next generation with like oh. this, this big swoopy sort of like rainbow color coded things on the black screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, no, I love that that's all in there. And it's it really does feel like it's of the TNG or or like maybe the TNG movies era. Like mm. we've got kind we've got um, at the very la- end of the last episode of the season, Riker and Troy show up yes. and they're like, he's the captain of the Titan, which I think he was in one of the movies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like smack dab in that period of time. And it pulls characters and species and things like out from all of the previous series. But like even being as referential as it is, it feels like its own thing also. Yes, for sure. Make it your own. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we both watched the whole season and we're going to talk about specifically a couple episodes. Yes, that's true. Like I was about to launch into something similar to that. Take it away. What episodes are we watched or did we watch? So we watched episodes uh, nine and ten, which are the last two, which is why I'm like, this is uh, spoilery. Oh, cat! My cat is here and he's trying to erase the notes on my computer. Um, Don't do that, cat. Don't do Ollie. that, Ollie. <laughs> um, and uh, one of them was called Crisis Point. Mm-hmm. Which is a classic holodeck adventure, mm-hmm. one of my favorite types of episodes. And it's also um, a movie parody episode, which is yes. one of my favorite types of things that exist in the television and movie world. Like Spaceballs is one of my favorite films ever. So, I'm like, yes, <laughs> movie parodies and holodeck episodes together. I'm all about this. Yeah, maybe let's try a summary. Okay, so it starts out in like a cold open with a uh, rats eating lizards people planet situation. Um, And Mariner is like causing an insurrection so that the rats have to stop eating the lizards. And her mom, who's the captain, gets really mad. And so the this sets up the rest of the episode where Mariner takes over this program that Boimler had made in order to practice for his like interview uh, to create a hollow movie where uh, Mariner is the villain and yes. she her like plan is to take down the Cerritos and kill her mom, Captain Freeman. And the rest of the characters kind of like have side adventures while this is happening in the holodeck. And it ends up with Mariner fighting her mom and then fighting the hollow version of herself. Mm-hmm. And uh, she learns some things about her true heart <laughs> at the end of the episode. That's episode yes. nine of the season. And then episode 10 is called No Small Parts. And it brings back a species that was like very briefly interacted with in the TNG era called the Packlids, who are like the dumbest aliens. And the way that they have space flight is just by being like helpless enough that people come and give them aid and they had like tricked Jordy into helping them do something or whatever. But so they're back and they're like, they've metastasized. Yeah. They're like dumb con artists. Like yes. they con people into helping them. And then they basically like hold a gun to your head and they're like, improve my ship. 
Um, but they would never have been warp capable on their own. It's like very unclear how they got starships in the first place. They have very broken grammar. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. the thing they say a lot in their first appearance is, like, make us go. Make us go. Yes. We want to go far. You will make us strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, apparently, they got a lot of people to help them because their ships are really big now. <laughs> um, they start out on a series that Kirk and Spock had visited in the original series the purge planet they go to the purge planet um which is like the planet that all the purge movies are based on and they actually use the word purge when they're talking about it which made me really happy because that's a word that's not used in the original series but it was like a direct like yes we know that they were purging um Mm -hmm. and they'd gone back to this planet to check on them like you know a hundred something years later to be like i wonder how they're doing and they've regressed they've all started worshiping the computer landrew and purging each other again (laughs) yes captain freeman is like lecturing them being like write it down this time stop purging each other (laughs) Um, and they all leave the planet and then realize they've left some people behind and who they've left behind are uh, Mariner, our main character and Boimler they stayed behind to sell art supplies to kids to be like don't purge each other, paint something to get your feelings out Mm -hmm. and she's like why are you joining me in on my antics like usually you're the one telling me not to break rules and he's like it's cool I know your secret the captain's your mom and she's like what and the (laughs) whole time their comms were on so the whole bridge is hearing this conversation so now the whole bridge also knows that Captain Freeman is Beckett Mariner's mom and Mm -hmm. uh, it's this big scandal and he's like making fun of her and then they beam them directly onto the bridge and everyone's like so the rest of the episode is basically this fallout from the whole ship like discovering that the captain is Mariner's mom and they've been keeping this big secret people start being really nice to Mariner and they won't treat her normally the captain's embarrassed Um, and then the Packlids come back what would normally be our A plot What's the B plot in this episode? Like, what's going on with Tenzi and Tenzi? Um, Tendi is orienting an exocomp. Yes. Okay. Yeah. There's an exocomp. So the exocomp is actually like the new um, ensign on the ship. And then Rutherford is going through something where the implant on his head is making him change voices. Yeah. So he keeps pushing the button and then he has to, it's like, it's like a improv device. Like he pushes the button and then he has to act out the rest of the scene like he's sad or like he's British or right. like he's excited or something. And like so he does that for the rest of the episode. And then there's some stuff going on with the pack lids. Uh the Titan comes and saves everybody. See, I still don't pay attention to that part of the episode, even in <laughs> Lower Decks, what even though I watched happened? this like three times. <laughs> I think the key the key element there is that Captain Freeman they're like in a bind and they don't know what they're what she's going to how she's going to get them out of this situation and she turns to Mariner and she's like come up with one of your crazy plans that I would definitely not approve approve yes. of um and so effectively Mariner saves the day. Yeah, and then Mariner also has the idea to ask Rutherford for help. 
And Rutherford has the idea to ask Badgie for help. Oh, God, Badgie. And Badgie is like this, it's very cartoony. He's like this, uh, he's like Clippy from Mm -hmm. Microsoft Word. He's like shows up to be like, how could I help you? Um, And he's like this holodeck character that Rutherford created in a different episode that became homicidal. So he's like Clippy meets Moriarty from yes, like he's like a evil sentient holodeck character, and uh-huh. so Rutherford's like who'd be morally depraved enough to like make the kind of virus that will like cripple the pack lids, and he's like mm-hmm. Badgie will. So then Rutherford has to like go over to the other ship, um, to to like implant the virus and almost dies, and then Shax, who's like the Bajoran security guard basically a wharf but bajoran yeah he's like a bajoran wharf um <laughs> like saves his life uh badgie like tries to remotely kill rutherford being like you can't leave until the virus is uploaded and when the virus is uploaded you'll explode so Shax sends him back to the ship and then Shax dies in the explosion and it's very noble mm-hmm. and then they don't acknowledge it for like another two minutes I'm like wait is anyone gonna be sad that Shax dies but eventually they have a funeral so it's okay and then Riker shows up and saves everybody and offers Boimler a promotion on the Titan and then the episode mm-hmm. ends with Mariner still being on her ship still living in the lower decks sending lots of angry messages to Boimler on the other ship yes Okay. (laughs) Why did we pick these episodes? Why did we pick these episodes? (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk about the ninth episode because mostly because I really love the opening scene when they're on that planet with the lizards that are being eaten by the rats and they're like both sentient. Um, And to me, it felt like an exact parallel to the Ba'ul and the Kelpians in Discovery. Yes. It's basically a case where the Prime Directive gets very confused because they're two sentient species that are coexisting on a planet that are like one is subjugated by the other one and the Starfleet directive or the federation directive has been to like leave this society alone um we don't want to mess with that because there's like it would be messing with the balance of power or something um but on the other hand starfleet values are like enslavement is wrong consuming other sentient species is wrong and so mariners on that planet like instigating insurrection of the lizard people to like rise up against the rats and she's like yeah my captain's gonna be down here and finally she's gonna like applaud me for doing something right and then captain freeman gets down to the planet and she's like how could you do this like star starfleet is very clear that we're not supposed to mess with this planet and she's like you never do anything you you hate me blah uh so there's this like mother-daughter tension in there um, yeah, but I but I think it's really interesting to look at like these cases where the prime directive doesn't really hold up. And like, what do you do when a species is literally being eaten by another sentient species? Yeah. And I like how they distilled this tension that will sometimes take an entire episode um, because there's also an episode uh, very similar to this on Enterprise 
Um, I feel like we we run into some this sort of perennially in Star Trek, um, where they're like, okay, do we do we choose the path of justice or do we choose the path of non interference? And then they butt heads, mm-hmm. and it's kind of asking the audience like to pick a side and where do you stand? And you know, even if you think you have the right values, you you might not, mm-hmm. and it's it's difficult. Um, and they sort of like take it down to like a three minute scene and like hit all the points like we got it (laughs) and and i like and just sort of like looking at these problems that star trek will sometimes be kind of elliptical about Mm -hmm. um just like looking them straight in the face like having mariner be like screw the prime directive they're eating each other (laughs) yes yes thank you (laughs) that's what i've been thinking (laughs) yeah yeah, no, exactly. And I think it, it it harkens back to a conversation that we've had already in this podcast, which we don't have to rehash entirely, but like, how do we be feminist and also anti-colonial at the same time? Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of all of these questions, like, it is hard to live your values when you're about when you meet a situation where two values just like, don't align. Mm-hmm. And I like like exploring those morally gray areas kind of the reason that that scene is there in the plot of this episode is to set up this tension between mother and daughter and then set the stage for the hollow movie that happens oh yeah and i just fucking love this hollow movie (laughs) so and then we like begin with what we think is going to be like the central conflict of the rest of the episode with Boimler Mm. having replicated everybody on the ship basically or at least like the main characters like all the main officers he's exactly he's like uploaded all of their logs from the last seven years yeah their private personal logs which I don't (laughs) how do they even do that um, to, to create exact hollow characters who would act exactly like them, which like, okay, is that even ethical? I mean, that's something that we've looked at before, um, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different episodes. Uh, it, that's something that Lieutenant Barkley did. Yes. Um, uh, and you think that this is, that the episode for a second, you're like, oh, is this going to be about how questionable his choice is that like he decided to create this program so that he could like study for an interview <laughs> and instead Mariner just takes over and is like, I have a way better use for this. Let's turn it into a movie so I can do therapy and get out my, all my feelings by trying to kill my mom. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Um, so she like she sets herself up as the villain uh, Vindicta who is like impersonating a a Cali class starship the San Clemente which does not exist and as an aside I really love that a lot of the starships in this are just named after random cities in California (laughs) the Cerritos the Sacramento not technically the San Clemente because that ship doesn't exist, but um, the Vindicta is like out to get Captain Freeman and destroy the Cerritos. And Captain Freeman's just like, I don't know you. Because <laughs> as a Hollow character, she can't identify that it's her daughter, like in a makeup, whatever costume. Yeah. And everything about it is so good. Like, she shows up, like, she's very arch. She has these crazy 
eye makeup. She's wearing like I don't know, um <laughs> like animal skins. Mm-hmm. And it's very like villain from the original series or villain from the original series movies. Yeah. It's very con. Um, like all of her delivery is like overacted. The lighting is really dark. It reminds me of some of the scenes with the Klingons too. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's very Wrath of Khan. It's very like search for Spock and, uh, it's, it's just like exactly the, the TOS movies. Mm-hmm. And then they do one of my favorite scenes, which is, uh, for some reason in the movie they've decided in the in the movie within the show they've decided to uh rehab the cerritos the the starship yeah <laughs> and so they do a, a scene where they're flying over in the shuttle to the starship and it takes probably 2 minutes <laughs> It takes, like, four times as long as it needs to. Versus, like, the six-minute scene in the motion picture that we talked about last year. Yes. And, like, all the characters are like, ooh, ah. Like, they keep showing the ship from different angles. And like, yes. But the ship isn't that big, so they have to, like, circle it to make it last that long. <laughs> it's amazing. And I just... I. What I love about it is that when we were talking about the motion picture and like picked out that scene as being absurd, that it is now canon that that is absurd. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And still, if you talk to anyone who saw that scene in theaters and is that old and who grew up with Star Trek, they fucking loved that scene because they hadn't seen the ship in like 10 years and they were like, this is amazing. And they were also probably on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking about being on drugs, one of the things that is like a random call out in this episode, but is amazing and that you pointed out to me was, um, so, okay, so Rutherford is like really a big fan of Billups, who's the chief engineer. And so his character in the hollow movie is is like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop being this like marauder, whatever, not play along with Mariner's game, and just go tell my boss how much I love him. Yes. <laughs> He's like the anti-Barkley. He's like, wait, I could tell my bosses whatever I think. I'm gonna go tell them how much I love them. <laughs> it's amazing. And so then like the ship is coming apart. Warning, hydrant levels critical. Damn it, we don't have much time. We're rooting the vents that would take a whole team. If we bypass the indie controls and suppress the sati vents, it should function as a rudimentary, rudimentary plasma, plasma filter. filter. <laughs> and I was like, wait, does this ship run on weed? Ship runs on weed. And disco I, runs on disco mushrooms. Runs on, I felt like it was a disco reference, right? They're like, we have this whole series where the ship runs on mushrooms and they just keep slipping in this drug lingo into like their science speak. Like, why not? (laughs) Uh, So as a stoner, I am like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I love it. Oh, also, we just really enjoyed the kind of bromance between um, 
Billups and Rutherford during that episode. Yes. They bond so much that like holodeck fake Billups is like asking Rutherford to run away with him at the end of the episode. <laughs> and it's unclear whether it's like romantic or whether it's like just in terms of friendship. But either way, like the show is comfortable putting it out there. Um, just this like intense affection between two men, whether it's romantic or not. <laughs> Hey, I know you might be a psychotic space raider whose boss just destroyed my ship, but you are all right in my book. That's a book I'd read, cover to cover. Sir, you're the only person who could see past my mask and knows deep down, I just want to replace the Terunium Ops module with ionizing subcircuits. I know this is crazy, but you want to just, I don't know, run away together? We could get our own ship and we can buffer the phase coil whenever we want or, or realign the matrix. We can fix the warp engines on our time. It would be an otter, sir. <laughs> and then they like walk away together. And I, I've watched it a number of times now. I'm still not sure if they're holding hands at the end of that scene or not. It's great. Yeah. This reminded me of one of my favorite things about Lower Decks, which is that we find out that they all basically like live in bunk beds mm -hmm. on the, the bottom of the ship. And I always wondered, like, how luxurious is Star Trek that everyone gets their own quarters, like, no matter what their job is. And apparently, like, not so. Like, if you're the lowest of the low, you basically get a bunk bed and that's your room. Yeah, a bunk bed in a hallway. Like you're living on a sleeper car on a train, mm -hmm. but it's a spaceship. Yeah. I thought I, I also thought that that was really interesting because, like... We spend in Star Trek, we spend so much time with the officers and the bridge crew and the people who are like high up in a hierarchy that you can imagine that everybody in the universe lives the way that they do. But this is drawing attention to the fact that that's not the case. Um, and I think it's I think it's great. I think it's really good to like deepen this understanding and look at like what does what does the hierarchy actually mean in this society that's like post money, post quote, like supposedly quote post status, but really isn't. Yeah. And like, what does it mean if you are someone who decides to not try mm -hmm. and to be unambitious? What will your life look like? Which is really what we get to see with Ensign Mariner. Um, you know, there are still incentives to move up. Like they get better food from the replicators. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you get more living space but maybe it's still not worth it i i love the character of mariner and there's so much that's like alluded to throughout the season about her life that we don't really know but we can kind of assume that she is basically like a black female version of the white male wesley crusher because her mom, at, like in one of the scenes with Riker, he's talking to Captain Freeman and being like, I was your mentor. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty sure Captain Mariner served on the Enterprise or maybe on the Titan. And like while she was doing that, had Beckett, Beckett Mariner, her daughter, like in tow. So Mariner's got all of this like life experience living on starships meeting aliens and like having hijinks but she's like the version of Wesley who is like I'm over it it's like when Wesley decided to go off with the traveler but 
if he didn't have that option and just wanted to be cleaning conference rooms instead. Yeah, yeah, she's somehow burned out for some reason, and it's mm-hmm. it's unclear, and, like, hopefully we'll find out whether she just sort of burned out naturally and it was too much stress or she genuinely doesn't like it or whether something happened um, to sort of cause this. Because, like, it, at one point we meet one of her friends from the academy who refers to her as a really good student mm-hmm. in the past. And so we're like, okay, so she was still trying up until that point. Mm-hmm. And, like, when did she stop trying? When did she decide to just chill in the lower decks and cause chaos? And she's she's still obviously really capable because whenever she's in kind of like a high stakes situation, she's kicking ass and taking names and like leading the way. Um, but it's clear that she just doesn't want that level of responsibility. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited to explore this character more and get a get a look at like what does it mean to burn out? What does it mean to have bad things happen on your watch which yeah. I kind of assume is what went down and like will her character arc be kind of what we expect where she eventually steps up and takes more responsibility or will it be something else and I feel like either choice is interesting yeah yeah I, I agree it also highlights the mother-daughter relationship that's one of the central arcs of this season and the fact that they have kept this a secret so like in contrast to wesley and dr crusher or cisco and jake like mariner's mom does not want her to know does not want people to know that mariner is her daughter and at one point she says that she doesn't want people to know because uh Mariner's the most demerited ensign in the fleet or something like that. <laughs> and so there's this conversation about nepotism. Yeah. I, but I like the relationship between the two of them and like the fact that there's a portrayal of a black mother and black daughter in the like central to a Star Trek show. But I also think it's interesting that in contrast to Wesley or Jake Sisko, Mariner is, like, kind of a fuck-up. Yeah. I like that from, like, a modern storytelling perspective because I think it's an interesting characterization and there's, like, there's a lot of depth to explore and a lot of space for her to grow. And as representing, like, a woman of color, she's in this position of being, like, the bad child Whereas these other children were not. The worst thing that Jake Sisko did was he didn't want to go to Starfleet Academy. Yeah, and I feel like that that shows some growth with like where we are in terms of like how people can be portrayed on TV. Like we can have a black female character who is really flawed and who isn't perfect and like I mean, part of it is like she's on a cartoon, uh, but we see similar things with Michael Burnham and people Mm -hmm. aren't looking at her being like, oh, she's a bad role model. Like, no, she's just a complicated character. She gets to be the same kind of complicated, flawed character that white male character, that white male actors get to portray. Yes. Yes. Go Star Trek. (laughs) Do you remember what the actress's name is who plays her? Yeah. Her name is Tawny Newsom. Yeah. Yeah. 
If you want to see her in something else, she's in Space Force, which is on Netflix with Steve Carell. Oh. Which I enjoyed. I know it got kind of panned by the reviews. It's not super funny, but it's very feel good. Mm. And she's also, she's an astronaut in that. (laughs) So you still get to see her go to space. And she has a striking resemblance to her character, I think. It's like, uh, I think Tawny has a much... Uh, like tighter curls she's much curlier hair it's hard to tell with a cartoon yeah it's just kind of the impression of curls in the cartoon yeah yeah. uh but she she looks a lot like she does in the cartoon in real life and you can see her acting in real life with steve carell on netflix if you Hmm. want yeah i've never i you told me about space force and i will probably watch it but it's not high on my list at this point but i do like her a lot i don't know save it for a sick day The other major thing that we need to hit from this episode is Tendi Mm. and her Orion Mm. identity and the problematic way her friend Mariner treats her when she's casting her movie. Yes. Yes. So Mariner's like, you're going to you're going to get this part. It's great. And the part turns out to be a fiendish Orion thief from a long line of Orion thieves. Right. (laughs) And Tendi's just being like meh meh yeah she's like trying to fake enthusiasm at first she's like oh yeah us orions we love taking things that aren't ours (laughs) theft yeah her her character i love her character so much because she's just like earnest and enthusiastic about everything um but she can't actually be enthusiastic about this because she's like this is a negative stereotype of my people Mm -hmm. um and I, I really like that the show is kind of confronting Orions as a species and as a reference within the universe. Yeah. I, if you want to hear us talk more about this, we, we talked about this on our episode. What do we call it? Why are men? Is that what we ended up calling it? Maybe. <laughs> we talked about this on our episode last year where Kevin was our guest. Yes. Uh, We talked a lot about the Orion women stereotype, um, specifically the Orion slave girl stereotype, which they Mm -hmm. don't directly address in this episode, but they do address the negative Orion stereotypes. And they do, I think Mariner at one point is like, oh, she might take you as a slave. So they kind of obliquely reference that. Orion slavery mm-hmm. within their culture. <laughs> At one point, Tendi's trying to defend Orions, and she's like, some of us haven't been pirates for at least five years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's still, it seems like there might be some truth behind this stereotype. The truth is, a lot of Orions are capitalist, hyper-libertarian gangster pirates, just not this one. That's why I'm here. But uh, we do have this positive version of Orion's uh, in Tendi on this show. So they're not all pirates and sexy slave girls. And I think, and she's talking about this thing that, that can happen, that happens to people in real life where you're close friends with someone for a while or you're in a friend group with someone for a while and you think everything's cool and then all of a sudden they say something really offensive about your identity and you're like, wait, What? And, like, that's kind of the moment that she's having with Mariner. Come on, dude, Orions are pirates, pillaging your whole thing. Okay, stop. It is not my whole thing. They've been friends for a while. Like, 
she's never said anything offensive about Orions this whole time. And then suddenly she like writes this movie mm-hmm. with this offensive Orion stereotype in it and has to like get up the courage to confront her friend. Mm-hmm. And I like that she does confront her and it's undercut a little bit by that. We haven't been this way for at least five years. <laughs> but nonetheless, like I think it's good to identify that these are things that come up in relationships and that they're they can be gotten past and that in order to get past them, a conversation is necessary. And the person who's being informed of their uh prejudicial opinion needs to be receptive to that and be like, okay, I got it. I see how this thing that I was doing was offensive. I won't do it anymore. Easy. There were some other really great movie references we wanted to talk about in this episode. Um, I, I noticed after like the third time I watched it, I was like, what's on my screen? Because I sort of noticed this like flickering on the screen. And then I realized that they've like put a fil- once it becomes the movie, they put a filter over everything. So it has those little static, bl- like visual static blips going across the screen the way it would if you were really watching a movie in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. And also it, there's like a scene on the bridge where it's just all lens flares and like people are kind of glowing from behind and it's a hundred percent JJ verse. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many lens flares. There's so much light. Oh, I think there's another, there's another really quick moment where um, Rutherford like somehow beams everybody off the whole ship in the nick of time to save them. And yes, Billups is like you can't do that he's like yeah you can it's a movie you can do all kinds of beamy stuff in a movie (laughs) it's perfect it's perfect oh also the saucer section like crashes into a planet very movie yeah like every movie they have to completely destroy the ship they have to set up the ship as beautiful and then they have to completely wipe out the ship by the end of the film exactly that might be all I have for this episode other than poor Boimler accidentally discovers Mariner's secret when he goes to turn the program back on. Yes. He's like, I'm going to get back in there and actually ask them my questions. Cause he's like this whole time he's been, he's been trying to, in his like B plot, he's been trying to prepare for this interview with the captain. So he wants to find out like what she likes and doesn't like that way he can ace the interview and get into some program or something. So he goes back on to ask the captain a question and finds her giving a funeral (laughs) for the fake Mariner who died, the holodeck Mariner who died during the movie Mm -hmm. and it being like, she was my daughter. None of you knew this the whole time. It was a terrible secret that I would have hated for anyone to have found out. And if you found out, I would have killed you. And he's just like freaking out, (laughs) which sets up the next episode. (laughs) Moving on to episode 10. I want to get out just like a few notes I had down and then if we have more things to talk about, but I want to make sure I say these few things. Uh, yes. And if you want to see more references, like if you're like, what references did I miss? Just um, the website I looked at was Den of Geek, which I found out mm. by accident. But Den of Geek will just, it will list every single reference for the entire episode. It's really <laughs> thorough. But okay, okay. There's a character named Lieutenant Levy, mm. who I think is Jewish. He 
at least has a Jewish name and Star Trek Jew posting on Facebook has claimed him, mm. even though he's a terrible conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. um, who said one of your favorite lines. He said that Wolf 359 was an inside job, <laughs> which makes no sense. <laughs> Wolf 359 was an inside job. But kind of was, though, because oh, yeah. of Picard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then you, he goes on to say, what's that? If you forget, that, that's when the, that's the, that's the day when the Borg attacks, like, all of Starfleet. So it's like the Borg yes. aren't insiders, but I guess Picard was an insider, so maybe. <laughs> it's a very, it's a very, like, far away viewpoint of what actually went down where Picard was... More in many ways, like the first victim of Wolf 359, more so than like the internal instigator, right? Yes. But there's there's people in Starfleet who blame him for Wolf 359. Like like Captain Sisko is one of them, right? Yeah, well, he killed his wife. He can't he can't get objective around this. Lieutenant Levy, as far as we know, does not have an excuse. Who knows? And Lieutenant Levy goes on to say that, like, changelings aren't real right. Minion War is a hoax or something. So we know that he's not credible. <laughs> right. But it's also funny because, like, they don't really um, mention the Dominion War much, like, outside of, uh, I don't outside know. Outside of DS9. Outside of DS9. It's like DS9 fans sure. are all about the Dominion War and, like, no one else talks about it. So saying yeah. that the Dominion War is a hoax is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> Lieutenant Ransom has a line about a first contact day salmon. Yeah. <laughs> so we know that this is what they eat on first contact day. They eat salmon. <laughs> um, that's cut up in a way, apparently. Yeah. He also had a really great line about the TOS days, mm-hmm. which we always use to mean the original series, but she questions him and he's like, oh, those old scientists, that's what I call the 2260s. <laughs> you know, those old scientists like Spock. Kirk. They were out there discovering it's so things. good. <laughs> so good. So yeah. TOS is now canon within the universe. Yes. There is another reference that I loved in this episode. Um, the conversation that Riker and Troy have, like, kind of in their final scene, they're like, well, I guess we're going to go to Lizzle, Little Riza after this. And Riker <laughs> says, oh, does that mean we should bring the little Horgon? <laughs> yeah. And Riker's like, no, 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 we bring the regular size one. But what this this exchange prompted me to go down a Risa hole. <laughs> so I've now like rewatched almost all of the Risa episodes and the Horgon is the totem thing that you display if you are seeking Jamaharon, <laughs> which is a thing that nobody actually knows what it is, but probably just means like a lot of sex. It, yeah, it's <laughs> some kind of sex act or like group sex act or something that mm-hmm. the natives and or employees or sex workers of the resorts of Riza will come assist you with? Yes. So I think we're going to talk about Riza in a subsequent episode, but it was like, it was just that Chinese exchange that sent me down this hole. 
But can you imagine if your captain and his wife were just like having that conversation in front of everybody on the bridge? It'd so awkward. So embarrassing. So awkward. Uh, oh, also, they play out with some jazz, and Troy's like, oh, the jazz. Yeah, yeah, like his go to warp <laughs> thing is like warp in a factor of five, six, seven, eight. And like, if you were the. How do they know what factor warp? He just said like five numbers. What is If it's warp factor five, does he like do like three, four, five? Like, does he do that every time? I don't know. But it's a very good question. <laughs> uh, sorry, I could just, I could go off on Troy Riker ships like forever yes. and ever. Um, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say that it was really funny to have. Uh, Captain Riker show up in a show that has um, Commander Ransom on it because Commander Ransom mm-hmm. is clearly like kind of supposed to be Riker. He's like the Riker of this show. At one point, yes. he does the he puts his leg up on a rock in like Riker's <laughs> stance, and he's like always being like, "I'm the adventurer. I'm sexy. I'm gonna hit on people and tell people what's what. I have a square jaw and kind of a beard. And he's just like running around (laughs) being the Riker of the ship. And then they have the real Riker show up and then they're like kind of in the same room at one point. And I was like, this is too much. It's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) And um, Ransom doesn't quite hit on Troy, but he's like, can you hook me up with your Betazoid friend? (laughs) Yes. Like, yeah, no, it's a real, it's a real, like, oh my god, universe is cl- clashing right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. Um, okay, so in this episode, the we talked about the pack lids already. Um, but yeah, I felt like you had thing- more to say about them, maybe. Yeah, so, so that and this like random conspiracy theorist together to me feel like a commentary on like what is bringing down our society today, mm. which is basically like stupidity that has declared itself to be above scientific investigation and thought. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, so these packlids are like, Oh, yeah, you were saying yes. anti-elitism when we were talking anti-elitism, about Anti-elitism, exactly. Yes. So the, the, so the Packlids are like, they're dumb. They have not, they don't really have an understanding about wh- how they're going through the universe. All they want is to acquire more things. They want to add more ship pieces to their ship so that they have all the ship pieces. Yes. And it's it's like grown out of they have they've stopped kind of approaching people in the universe with their their naivete in as a con to manipulate people into giving them what they want now they have done that enough that they have gotten a like huge weapons array and can tear apart other ships and so they're just kind of yeah, there's this this metastatic ignorance that I feel mirrors Trumpers. 
Yeah, yeah. They're the kind of, it's very like 2016, nobody took Trump seriously. I remember people actually being relieved when he was the nominee because they were like, oh, there's no way we can't beat him. Um, And so it's the kind of threat that seems dumb enough that you don't take it seriously enough. Um, And they kind of speak to this a little bit at the end of the episode. They're like, well, we never thought like Starfleet has them written down as harmless. Mm -hmm. Um, So that they're not taking them seriously enough. And then it comes back to bite them. And I was I'm still a little worried. Like, I feel like they could come back in season two. Maybe that wouldn't be good writing, but I was worried that they still like they let like three of the ships just like get away. They didn't mm-hmm. pursue them. <laughs> they were like, "Phew, we survived that." And I'm like, "Go kill those guys." Yeah, yeah. They seemed like a big threat. Yeah, and yeah, it, ignorance that's just left to its own devices and like let to be. To the extent where they believe that it's as good as or better than, like, intellect and scientific inquiry. Ah, you know, and even even beginning the episode with um, the the Batons on Beta Two mm-hmm. worshiping the computer. Yeah, and engaging in their Red Hour purges and. Ha- like Starfleet left them behind, were, like showed up was like this is wrong. And they're like cool, left them, and they just went back to their old, old backwards ways. I think is like really hitting on this theme of ignorance. So I, I think you're right. Like that was the major theme of the episode. It's planted throughout. Mm-hmm. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> I liked it a lot. One of the things that I like the most about this episode is actually that scene where Mariner. Uh, is giving away art supplies and Boimler comes up and is like, you always get to do the fun things. Like, I'm tired of playing by the rules and not give, not getting to give art supplies to children. And I like, I just love that in like Captain Freeman's world, the way to have these people move on from their worship of the computer Landru is to just tell them to stop. Whereas Mariner's approach is to be like, here's an alternative. It's art. Yes. (laughs) Go make art. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, she's thinking creatively. She's thinking outside the box. I don't know if art would stop the purge, but you know, maybe. (laughs) It might. You know what? We need more art. Give give the next generation crayons. <laughs> give us crayons. <laughs> give us watercolors. Then we won't grow up and want to chop each other up with scythes. Yeah, yeah I like, their, like when they're handing them out, too. They're like, more fun than the red hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, anything would be more fun than the red hour. But crayons help. That one guy had just got a new scythe. So obviously he liked he the did, red yeah. hour. long ago i had a dream of doing a purge episode which i think we've mostly abandoned i think it's still in queue i just i'm not like super enthusiastic about watching i don't want to make you watch the purge if you don't want to watch the purge but do go watch that 
TOS episode, those old scientists, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and watch the episode where they go to Beta 2 and they visit the Purge planet and then know that this is the inspiration for all of the Purge films, which are actually pretty political. Mm-hmm. There's my piece. That's what I would have said in like a 45-minute episode anyway. So there you go. <laughs> um, I did go back and watch that TOS episode, and I fell asleep in like Act 4 or something. <laughs> so I don't actually know how they resolve it. He, it's exactly, I mean, it's exactly what uh, Captain Freeman says. He outlogics the computer. Good for good for Kirk. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I'm looking at my notes. I'm like, what are the other things that we had to? Oh, okay. So I feel like this episode makes canon something that has been my head canon for a while. Oh, you're right. Yes, you're right. Which is that all of the. All of the Star Trek shows that we know of as we know them are like reality shows or hollow programs that the other characters interact with. And so like that's why everybody knows that um, Picard says engage and that like we have all of these other little references to like how characters behave from from other characters and other shows at other time periods who like otherwise it would not make any sense at all that they know these like little details about people's lives. Yes. It's no, canon. Wait, so what but what's the proof in this episode? <laughs> okay, so the proof in this episode is that Riker comes back onto the ship and he's like uh, or he comes back onto the bridge and he's like, oh, I was just hanging out with those Enterprise folks. You know, they really it really took them a long time to get from there to here. <laughs> yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. So he basically, so he references like the finale of Enterprise, which is like the worst finale of any Star Trek show ever. If we're yes. basically, we have Troy and Riker interacting with the crew of the Enterprise while they're a hollow program. Yes. And like what Becca's been telling me for at least a year is that is that all of the characters do the do this for all of the Star Trek episodes. And I was a little resistant to this idea, but like Lower Decks makes it canon. And like throughout the whole series they have been making little references that like they couldn't because I'm always like, oh, they learned that at the Academy, but they've been making references that they couldn't possibly have known from the Academy, like how buff Khan was and what his chest looked like. <laughs> yes. Or how hot Trip Tucker was, just like stuff about people's appearances, stuff about people's catchphrases, where I'm like, how do they have the same encyclopedic knowledge of Star Trek that we have? Um, So you were right. Yes. (laughs) And it is fun. It's also, I want to know more about how that works, though. Like, how did these become hollow programs? Did Barkley do it? I think Barkley did it. We can blame Barkley, yes. Yeah. 
one day we'll talk about Barkley and how much I dislike him as a character. But if he's the reason that this is canon and true, then fine. I'm, I'm like maybe okay with it. But or maybe they just um, do what Boimler did at the beginning of episode nine, and they uploaded everyone's logs and made a hollow movie out of them that way. Yeah, I mean, if Boimler can do it, then why? And then seemingly everybody else has already done it. Yeah, I think that's a oh. Oh, okay. I feel like there's like so many little things that I could just go on forever. Um, but this one I also really loved. Um, one of the contraband items that Mariner has yes. is a triple for personal use. Yes. <laughs> and I'm like 100% sure that it's a like, sex toy masturbatory aid yes <laughs> it's vibrating like what other reason would it be i don't know what else it could be for personal use unless it's a pet but you thought it was very gay i thought it was kind of gay i'm not going to explain that comment if you agree with me you probably understand why i think that's gay and if you don't i'm not going to explain it on air because i'm not you know you or molly so that's as comfortable <laughs> as i get on air. Wait, so am I allowed to tell people why you think it's gay? You could tell people why you think I think why you think I think it's gay. <laughs> okay, so I think that Ryan thinks it's gay because it's a like warm and fuzzy object kind of like a pussy. Again, <laughs> and Mariner is also a woman. Yeah, it's kind of gay. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Which I'm not going to argue about. Um, but like I didn't I didn't have that perception. I just thought it was like a positive reference to masturbation. Which probably makes more sense. I, I think that's more <laughs> what the writers were intending. <laughs> I think what you're saying is more what the writers were intending. Oh, and I also just wanted to talk about how the doctor is a cat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the doctor is a cat. Which I, I'm remembering right now because at one point she makes a reference to shaving her pussy. Yes. She's a cat. <laughs> Which is a great callback to the original animated series where they had a character who was like just a cat. <laughs> um, they, that species has a name. They're like the Catlins or something or the Catlids. Cat is in the name of the species. <laughs> the only time we've seen them before is in the other cartoon, but it makes me really happy. Um, and at one point, they're like just like lit rolling the cat hair off of yes. the chairs in the officer's lounge, which it's is funny. So perfect. Yeah, I I think that the like one of the reasons that this show just like gets to the Trek nerds in all of us is that it very clearly has a deep love of the whole canon. So it's pulling from all of these different places, all of the movies, the animated series, all of the previous series. Like, how can we fit in as many references as we can, yes. but still make a coherent story that isn't just like fan service for the sake of fan service yeah no it doesn't feel like i mean it is fan service but it doesn't feel like fan service because it's out of love and it's like done yes. so well that you're like yeah that is really what they would have been talking about right then <laughs> they mentioned the giant spock which only happened in the cartoon <laughs> 
there's a cartoon episode where there's like a four story tall Spock for some reason. And like, I'm like, oh, well, that's definitely the old cartoon is definitely canon if this cartoon is mentioning it. Yes. 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 So it makes me very happy. I love it. In conclusion, definitely watch Lower Decks. I hope you've already watched it if if you've listened this far. If you haven't, there are eight other episodes that we haven't ruined for you. And it's very episodic, so you're not, like, spoiled for things that came before these two episodes. No, definitely not. The only season-wide arc is just, like, are they going to find out that they're mother and daughter? And then the answer is yes. But you kind of see that coming. You're like, eventually the secret's going to come out. As a viewer, you pretty much know that from the beginning, I think. Or yeah. at least you infer it, and then it becomes obvious, and then it becomes revealed. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, you kn- you know that pretty early. Um, <laughs> for sure. I think next month, although I don't want to fully commit, but I think next month we're going to talk about pandemic episodes, or mm-hmm. epidemic episodes. We're going to talk about episodes with diseases, Yes. Yes. And we'll probably hit a few specific ones, but, you know, reference the ones that we don't cover because there are actually too many to count. There's a lot of them. I so now that I'm rewatching Voyager again, um, there was an episode very early in the in season one that's called The Phage. And I was like, oh, good. This is the episode with those like giant bugs that are also a virus. But it's not. It's the phage that the Vidians have. So there's that whole arc that's like all about a crazy virus that's destroying people. So yeah, we're just like leaning into the fact that we're living this pandemic life. And we're going to talk about pandemic episodes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, stay, stay uh, safe. Wash your hands. <laughs> masturbate. Is that pandemic <laughs> advice? That's all life advice. Okay. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on PodFan. That is pod.fan slash Intertractional. Yeah. And then um, Hollow Mariner comes along and is like, leave my mom alone, you nefarious whatever. Then they start fighting and they get into like, oh, you can't defeat me. I know all of your moves. It reminded me very much of one of my favorite scenes in Futurama where 
Leela and like alternate universe Leela start fighting each other. And the professor says, um, perfectly symmetrical violence never solved anything. (laughs) (laughs) I think about that way too often. (laughs) 